Okay, I'm on. There we go. As I said, you have to love technology. Apparently, George Whitfield was once measured as being able to be heard with no aids by 10,000 people. And Benjamin Franklin doubted it, and so he went and measured it and said, sure enough, he can be heard by 10,000 people. So I'm hoping that I can be heard by a couple hundred people today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, which was just read for us. And I'd like to open by telling a story that a friend of ours, a friend of Janet and mine, um, named Jim Eliff, wrote down many years ago. It's called The Story of the Eaglet, or the Baby Eagle. And it's an illustration of how faith works. And so we have this eagle's nest set way up high, thousands of feet above a valley up in the mountains, and it's set up on a tree that's growing up out of that, and the, and the big old nest, and the father and mother eagle go soaring off down through the valley, hunting and, and seeing what's going on in their, in their great domain. And there's a baby eagle, an eaglet, in the nest. And every day he watches them go soaring off, and he looks out over the edge, and he sees them gracefully swooping. And he's thinking, man, I would love to be able to do that. And the one thing that his parents tell him over and over again is never climb up on the edge of the nest. You can look, but don't climb up on the edge. And one day he's thinking, man, if I could get up on the edge, I could even see better. So he gets up there and a wind comes along and blows him back and he goes, oh man, I almost fell. I better not do that again. But day after day, as he's watching his parents swoop out, and glide over that valley, he's, just getting, he's getting more and more wishing that he could do that. Well, my wings are getting stronger. I'm getting bigger. I should be able to do that. And so he gets up on the ledge again, and he's watching them out there, and he's thinking, I bet I could do that. And so he jumps out to try to fly. And of course, what happens? His wings go flopping around. He can't keep himself aloft, and he starts plummeting down toward the valley below, thousands of feet. And, of course, he realizes now, boy, I wish I was back in that nest. I should have listened to what my parents said. And as he's tumbling down to his death, the only thing that he can think of doing is crying out for help. I guess he squawked for help. Help! And from way up high, the father sees him. And in an aerodynamic uh, trajectory, comes swooping down, grabs that chick just before it hits the ground, swoops down, just misses the ground, comes back up with powerful strokes, brings the eaglet back up, drops it in the nest. And that's the illustration that we're going to use for faith and exactly what it was that the eaglet did to get the father to come and get him. Did, did, the, did the eaglet earn anything? No. So we're going to come back to that story as an illustration of what faith does for us and how it works. 
So the big idea today in our passage is that salvation is by grace alone apart from our works. But salvation by grace leads to good works. Or if you want a simpler version, we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. And so in our passage, we're gonna see three truths. There's three verses. They don't quite, the truths don't quite match up with the verses, but they're close. Three truths, we're saved by grace through faith. Second, salvation is a gift from God and has nothing to do with our works, with ourselves. And third, salvation by grace leads to good works. Now Malachi mentioned that this is Reformation Sunday and that Martin Luther was the one who initially nailed those 95 theses to the the church door in Wittenberg. Now, the 95 theses had to do with something completely different. They had to do with something called indulgences and how people were buying forgiveness of sins and buying their relatives' time out of purgatory with money. And it was a huge moneymaker. But the, the, the fundamental issue of the Reformation really came along later when Luther began to talk about how the whole system of salvation that was being promoted at that time was wrong. Now, I'm not out to bash the Catholic Church, and even Catholic historians will admit that the popes of that time were some of the most corrupt in history. But there was a misunderstanding, a false gospel that said Faith plus works equals salvation. And Martin Luther uncovered the true gospel understanding from the Bible, which is that faith equals salvation plus works. So not faith plus works equals salvation. That's what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching at that time but faith equals salvation and works. All right, so in order to get a running start on this, we we did read verses one through three from Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter two, I'm sorry. I remember when I was living in Olympia, Washington, there was a big sign on Interstate five as you went from Olympia up to Tacoma and it said, Jesus saves. Like, well, that's true. But the question then is, Jesus saves you from what? Well, by faith you are saved, Ephesians 2.8, but saved from what? Well, you have to go back. So as a lead up, just briefly, Ephesians 2.1 says, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And then verse two says, we were following the course of this world and the course of the prince of the power of the air, meaning the devil, the one who controls the world systems. And verse three says, we were by nature children of wrath, meaning deserving God's just punishment for our sins. 
And then verses 4 through 7 talk about what God did. He said, verse 4, God being rich in mercy, then in verse 5, made us alive together with Christ. And then he adds a little parenthesis, by grace you are saved. And he's going to come back to that in verse 8. And then in verse 6, he says, we were raised up with him. And finally in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he can show us his great grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. So he saved us, he's saving us, and he will save us. And now we get to chapter 2, verse 8, and we come to then our first truth that we're going to be looking at from this passage, which is that we are saved by grace through faith. Okay, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. Okay, let's just unpack that for a second. Words that we've heard a lot in our lifetimes if we've grown up in a church. But let's pause for a second and and talk about what these words mean. So it says we are saved. So the Greek verb form there means that we have been saved and this is still having effects in the present. So we're being saved. So we could say we have been and are being saved through faith. So there's a past, present, and future aspect to salvation. It also says by grace you have been saved. Well, what is grace? We've heard that word 20,000 times, even if we're not Christians, we, we hear the word grace. We're going to say grace before a meal, that man, grace versus works is something that is an issue in the church. Free grace, we hear that word mentioned a lot, but what is the grace of God? All right, I'm going to give a, a two-part definition here. So grace is the favor of God towards us. The favor of God's towards us. And second, grace is work that God does in our lives. Now sometimes those are hard to distinguish. By grace you are saved. Well, that's happening in my life. But sometimes grace is talked about as an actual effect in our lives. So the favor of God towards us, first, we see that, for instance, in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, where, where the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You found grace before God. It's the same word. So God's favor, out of that favor, then, he begins to act for us. Now, prior, remember it said at verse 3 that we are by nature children of wrath. That means that all of God is against us. All of God is against our sin. Now, with the favor of God, it means that all of God is for us. That everything that God is is now mobilized for us. That's what grace means. We see that salvation came out of that grace. 
So verse five, by grace you have been saved. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved. We see the same idea in Titus chapter two, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. So God's favor has brought salvation for all people. Now we also said that, that grace in the second aspect means the kind of work that God does in our lives as a result of God's favor. So for instance, Acts 11.23 says that Barnabas came to Antioch and saw the grace of God and rejoiced. Well, did he see an attitude? No, he saw the work that God was doing in the people. He saw them sharing the gospel and loving one another and worshiping God and rejoicing. So the grace of God is expressed here as what God is doing. Another example is in 1 Corinthians 15.10. So Paul writes, but by the grace of God I am what I am, by God's favor. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This grace is something that's acting in Paul's life. The grace of God was with him. So by grace, we have been saved. Grace operating in the past, operating in the present, operating in the future. We've been saved in the past, in the present, in the future. Now there's one last piece to this puzzle, which is we have been saved through faith. Now, no surprise, faith also is past, present, and future. Okay. Beginning to get the picture here? Okay, so salvation is past, present, future. Grace is past, present, future. We access them by faith in the past, present, and future. So by grace we can say we were, we are, and we will be saved through faith. Well, how does this work? The short answer is that it involves the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we read about Jesus, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So God the Father sent Jesus by his grace and Jesus, by his grace, died for our sins and rose from the dead. And then the Father and the Son, through grace, sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we can live for God today. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, I wasn't working, it was the grace of God with me. He's talking about the power that he gets from the Holy Spirit. By grace. Now we're gonna talk more about how all of this works in our lives practically in verse 10. But in summary, by grace, God sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to bring us salvation and we access this grace by faith. Okay, are you still with me? 
Okay, I hope so because that's a lot of content in about seven short words. By grace you are saved by faith. I didn't count the words, but it's about seven. So now, since Paul has discussed how we're saved by grace, he could just jump into how this works, but he, he stops because there's an issue he needs to deal with, and it's called boasting. Now, because boasting is not a problem in the 20th century, I'm going to skip that verse. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because boasting is still a problem in the 20th, but what are we, the 21st century now. Because boasting is still a problem today, we need to look at what Paul has to say about it. So, truth number two salvation is a gift from God and has nothing to do with our works. Salvation is a gift from God and has nothing to do with our works. So he begins to talk about this at the end of chapter, verse eight. He says, and this is not your own doing. Literally, this is not from yourselves. So what is this here? He says, you're saved by faith, and this, so people wanna say, well, it's faith. This faith is not of yourselves. But actually, that doesn't quite work because like Spanish, Greek has gender and faith is feminine and this is not feminine. So the this there is talking about the whole process, this whole salvation package of by grace you are saved through faith. This, this salvation package, grace, salvation, faith, is not of yourselves. Now it includes faith, but it's this whole thing that God has done for us, past, present, and future. It's not of ourselves. And then it says, God's is the gift. Your ESV says it is the gift of God. Literally, it says God's is the gift. The word God there is fronted. So, not of ourselves, God is the one who gave us this gift. There's an emphasis there on on God doing this. So it's not from ourselves. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, verse nine. So it should have been enough to say, hey, God did this, it's his gift, it's not of ourselves, right? I mean, how much credit do you get when you receive a gift? Imagine that a friend of yours spent a lot of time making a really nice table for you as a gift. So sanded it down, polished it, selected the wood, joined it, got everything squared up, and then presents you with this table. And, And you say to your friend, Man, I really worked hard for that. That would be an insult, right? You'd be insulting your friend. How much credit do you get when you get a gift from somebody? How much credit do we get from salvation, which is a gift? So that should be clear, but because we are hardwired for boasting, we're hardwired to try to take credit for stuff. 
We're hardwired to want to justify ourselves and, and, and work our way to earn God's favor. Paul now doubles down in verse 9 and says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you have not memorized this passage yet, start with verse 9. That's an easy one to memorize. Not of works, thus anyone should boast. Not, of, not as a result of works, not out of works. So Paul is saying to us that we received it, so why are we boasting about it? It's not from our works. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's going to be flashed up there in a second. He's talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians are boasting about their spiritual gifts. And Paul says, for who sees anything different in you? Are you different from each other? One person better than another? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So Paul says we contribute nothing to our salvation. And so boasting is ruled out. God did everything, so our job is to be humble and receive it and not be proud about it. So we've talked about how salvation is entirely by grace, through faith, past, present, and future, how God has worked that. And then we've talked about how we can take no credit for this. So before we get to our third point, I'm gonna put up one of those faith equals that we saw before. We said the true gospel is faith equals salvation plus works. Now, up to now, we've seen faith equals salvation. But we haven't talked about the works yet. Verse 10 completes the picture. So verse 10 says that we get these good works as a result of salvation. So truth number three, salvation by grace leads to good works. Now someone might read verse 10 by itself and say, all right, now we're talking. Now we're talking about works. Now I can really shine and, and, and show everybody how great I am. Well, just slow down there, works boy. That's not what Paul's saying here, and he's being very clear that these works are still a product of grace. Look at that little word for at the beginning of verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Well, what's that for there for? The for goes back to what he's just been talking about, that we're saved by grace and it's not of works. For we are his workmanship. Oh, 
So the works aren't ours, right? The works are his. Okay. So how does Paul address boasting? He's still addressing it here. He's not just jumping off into a new topic. Hey, I got saved by grace and now works are up to me. No, he's saying it's all still by grace. We are his workmanship. So how does he address boasting? Very beginning of verse A, or verse 10, 10A. His workmanship we are. And his is, is, is emphasized here. Again, it's his is the workmanship. So again, that's fronted for emphasis. His is the workmanship that we are. Then it says that we're created in Christ Jesus. Now notice it doesn't say we're modified in Christ Jesus, like we're some kind of a, of, of a project. We're restoring an old car. So we're not refurbished in Jesus, like you take this old car, you sand it down, you, you get a new carburetor and engine, you, you paint it up, and now it's as good as new. No, we're not modified in Jesus. We're created from scratch in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 states this very clearly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What did we bring to our salvation? Nothing except our sin. What did that baby eagle bring to his deliverance other than the fact that he was about to die? He brought nothing. Second question then is what are the good works that he's talking about here? So we can avoid boasting by realizing that we're God's creation out of nothing. He didn't just take this wonderful raw material he saw in Andy and say, hey, I'm gonna create something great out of that. No, he took something, he took nothing from me and he created something out of it that he made. And now what are the good works? Well, it says that he created us for good works that he prepared. So what are these good works? Does that mean that each individual good work was laid out for us in advance? Like, okay, now I am going to go and talk to Brother Jones and give him an encouraging word. Like a computer program? No, that's not what it's talking about. Think of the the parable that Jesus told of the, the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. So we learn that if we abide in the vine, we'll produce fruit. If we abide in Jesus, we'll produce fruit. So a vine produces fruit according to its nature. An apple tree produces apples. A grapevine produces grapes and not poison berries. A cherry tree produces cherries. So a person who abides in Christ will produce spiritual fruit. How do we describe that? Well, we describe that as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
So the good works that God prepared for us are the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us. So he prepared beforehand that we should bear spiritual fruit. And then finally it says at the end of verse 10 that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them. So now we get back to the practical part of this. Now again, this is not us working so that we can get credit. It's us living out our faith in a way that God works through us. So how do we walk in good works and avoid boasting? Well, the Holy Spirit was given to us through grace as a gift. Remember what it said back there in in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13. We believed and we received the Holy Spirit. Twice Peter talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and Acts 10. It's a gift. And the Holy Spirit continues to be given to us by grace. So I wake up this morning, did I say, man, I'm going to really try to earn the Holy Spirit today. If I, if I work hard enough, God's going to give me the Holy Spirit. No, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Your job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Or as J.I. Packer puts it in the title of his book, keep in step with the Spirit. So we don't earn the Spirit, but we walk with the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We walk in the power of the Spirit. Well, how does that work? How many people have ever heard, I've heard this often, people say, you want to you work in the Lord's strength, not your own strength. Anybody ever heard that before? All right, I used to hear that, and, I, and I'd wonder, well, that sounds great, but what does it mean? How does that work? And I, and I, would, I wouldn't say it, I mean, I wouldn't be impolite. I wouldn't get, be rude and stand up and say, hey, how does that work, Pastor? But I, I would wonder, how does that work? How, how do we let God work in us? Well, we, we walk in the Spirit first by saturating our minds with the Word of God. What Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and then teaching and admonishing one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So this idea of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is how you then are able to walk in the Spirit and serve others because you have the Word of God. Okay, second, we pray. God, fill me with your Spirit today. That's different than having the Spirit. We can pray that God would strengthen us through His Spirit. That's the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14, that God may strengthen you with Spirit in the inner person. That's Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus in the next chapter of this book. We pray that God would strengthen us through his spirit. Memorize some of the prayers that that Paul prayed for the the believers in Philippi, uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, or in Colossians, Philippians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, or here in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. The way that I memorized those was by praying them. I prayed them, and after about 20 times, they were in my brain. And, oh, by the way, that also helped me let the word of God dwell in me richly. 
So first, saturate our minds with the Word of God. Second, pray. Third, use your mind and your heart. Okay, use your mind. Now, I'm going to hear somebody say immediately, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Andy. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Well, yeah, I, I acknowledge that. We don't, we don't follow anything and everything that comes out of our hearts and minds. Fair enough. But God does give us a new heart and a new nature. And he puts good desires into our hearts and our minds. So we use our minds to fulfill the good desires that he's put there. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the heart to obey God comes from God. All we can do is call out to God for help. If, if I see that I am in need of a Savior, that I'm lost in sin, that I deserve God's just punishment, then all I can do is call out, as we heard in the message in the last few weeks, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I can call out to God for help. And God, when he hears that cry, like that father eagle, will turn his face toward us with favor. And all of God will then be for you. All the riches of his grace, the riches of his spirit, the riches of his kindness will be for you for today and then for all eternity. Call out to God today. If you're a Christian, continue to call out to God. We need his grace every day. Let's pray. Father, we do need your grace today. Fill us with your spirit. I pray along with Paul that by the riches of your grace, you would strengthen us through your spirit in the inner person that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that we being rooted and grounded in love may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Can we pray that prayer for ourselves today? Will you do something real and special in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.